Good morning. If, if you take your seats, please, so we can start. So, good morning. My name is Despina Panagiotou Theodosiu, and I'm the joint CEO of Theodosio Maritime. Um, we've uh, gathered uh, here for this panel to discuss innovation and digitalization transforming the shipping industry. Uh, digital transformation in shipping is no longer a distant password. It is the reality of, of our present. Digitalization has already uh, driven shipping organizations to accumulate massive amounts of data. Now, these same organizations, under the influence of their changed operating environments and their own desire for improvement, are looking at transforming this data into useful information and providing added value to their customers. Digital transformation has caught up with even the most cautious among us, forcing all to reconsider their value chains. We see innovative solutions being implemented, which focus on fleet optimization, utilizing AI, machine learning, and complex analytics to provide operators ashore with the necessary information in real time, so they can proactively support the master on board his or, uh, with his or her task of running the voyage as efficiently as possible. The shipping industry has traditionally been considered as a slow adopter of new technologies um, compared to how these technologies were released and implemented on land. This could always be attributed to the specific limitations applicable in shipping and the obstacles, financial and or technical, to the application of such technologies on ships. So how has such a traditional industry become such a quick adopter of digital technologies now? Possibly we should look at how previously existing challenges have been overcome. Probably first and foremost to be mentioned here is the great potential offered by increased connectivity available now for the shipping industry. Ships today are more connected than ever to their land office, continuously exchanging data and information. The sheer possibility for data collected on board a vessel to be constantly pushed to specialized and sophisticated platforms ashore, consolidated and analyzed in real time in order to draw conclusions and even provide predictive analytics has turned voyage uh, vessel and fleet optimization into an entirely different ballgame. Furthermore, in an ever-changing regulatory and technological framework, the shipping industry is being called to reevaluate its business models and enter into a more collaborative mode of operations, something which admittedly has not characterized our industry up until the recent past. We see many examples of consolidation and synergies being created in order to leverage the benefits offered by big data analytics and interpretation. New, previously overlooked concepts such as environmental and operational sustainability seem to be driving the industry's uh, mindset shift. We see ship operators looking for efficiencies in the slightest of details and investing time and money in solutions uh, which offer greater value to their ever more demanding customers. Evolving from isolated entities into a shipping ecosystem does not come without its own set of new challenges which we're called to face. First of all, the implementation of digital technologies requires the investment of time and money, 
as well as cultural and sometimes structural changes in organizations. Secondly, increasing reliance on digital solutions and digital interactions leads to higher cyber risk. Then, of course, the adoption of new technologies must be carefully planned and structured around the human element in order to ensure our people have the necessary understanding and skills to extract the vast possibilities of such tools. And traditional competitive advantages may be displaced by new ones. In this concept, those who gain a better understanding of how digitalization can support their business development will clearly be ahead of those implementing tools only as part of the general trend. I would like to close this brief introduction saying that from where I stand, there is no going back to the way things were. Digitalization and innovation are well embedded into our new reality, and we can only look at them as opportunities to support our transformation and alignment with our customers' expectations. Anything short of that would leave us trailing and unable to be part of the new industry status quo. The degree to which every organization chooses to digitally uh, transform itself can vary and depends on its strategy, values, business model, and other factors. However, one fact remains, that we are all looking for the edge, that unique advantage in our operations that will get us ahead of the curve. Today, to discuss this interesting subject, we have the following panelists. Boriana Farrar, Vice President, Council, Senior Claims Executive and Business Development Director of the Americas at the American Club. Mr. Andreas Hajibedru, Managing Director, Columbia Ship Management, and thank you, Andreas, for stepping in on a very short notice. I will charge you this, Pina, don't worry. <laughs> and Kevin Humphreys, General Manager, Merchant and Gas Carrier Segment Sales, Barcela. And I'll start with Andreas first. Okay. <laughs> um, Andreas, there's a lot of talk about um, Columbia Ship Management's performance optimization control room. Um, how did you see your organization's need for change? Uh, what was it that triggered the formation of the POCR in, in your company? Okay. Uh, let me go back a, a little bit, Despina, and thank you for the introduction. Uh, some 15 years ago, when uh, even one of uh, the people sitting here was part of the organization, my colleague Martin Kraft, who's sitting over there. We started discussing a paperless office. And at that time, uh, if I look at it now, that was just having this piece of paper on a, uh, on a server stored somewhere, so if you can find it, then you have a digital office, then you have a paperless office. And that was uh, 15 years ago. And I must say that our experience adopting at, um, uh, the, on the office software a number of uh, applications, it, it has proven to be problematic because there is no standardization whatsoever in the industry. So the information is coming through different sources in different formats. And uh, as far as the ship connectivity, we have not had the chance at that time to, uh, uh, to consider in any way anything digital or really innovative and so on because of the connectivity issues. As technology advanced and uh, having also um, 
also having the experience of implementing a planned maintenance system, which uh, we thought at the time that was innovative. But as we know in technology, if you don't do or if you don't develop within five years, then it's also already old te technology. So having, have, uh, having had a fleet of more than 300 ships to implement the planned maintenance system, by the time we implemented the planned maintenance uh, system, it was already outdated. So the need that we had was to make sure that our database management is at least on one platform. So if you have it on our platform, you have the basic information, which is there, and then you can play with the data, you can fine tune, you can create reports, you can create analysis that perhaps can help you in the future. And at that time, um, we, we came across, okay, <laughs> with Todotheos, I apologize, but she's here, with uh, Todotheos, um, um, solution on, uh, on the technology front where we have teamed up together and we created having in mind the capabilities of the big data, a platform which nowadays, pro nowadays provides for us the basis for our operations. What we have achieved is uh, to connect the ship with the office and to make sure that whatever data is being reported is in a digital smart data. So it's not digital in terms of a PDF which is transmitted to the office, but it's data that you can actually use if you want and, uh, and make sure that you optimize the performance. So what we have clearly achieved is to have a system that we can access the information which has been transmitted to the ship very easily. We can fine tune the, the data and uh, observe ter uh, trends, uh, come up with corrective actions and so on, to the extent that um, having now used the system for about a year, um, the savings that we have achieved for the ships within the platform, they, they are much more than the investment we have made in creating the, the digital control room. Um, thank you, Andrea. And, um, a very important question I think we should always ask is about our people in our companies with the implementation of new technologies. Uh, we need to always uh, have that, uh, that element in, in mind. So my question is, how did you go, go about implementing such a significant change? Um, how were uh, your crew and the people ashore onboarded? Well, for the crew, it's uh, fairly easy. You, you basically provide the crew with a reporting requirement which is um, simple and one thing I, I want to, to make a remark on the crew, the whole industry has created a huge risk on the crew, a, a huge stress on the crew. We have the charterers reporting requirements, the port requirements, the owners requirements, the managers requirements. So the, the, the workload and the stress upon the crew is unbelievable. And is, uh, those who have been longer than me in the industry, they always say that, you know, the quality of the seafarers in terms of qualification is less and uh, we need to invest more and more in education and so on, which is correct. But as an industry, we have created enormous um, stress to the seafarers uh, with regards to reporting requirements and others. So 
the, the preparation for the crew is actually quite simple because um, uh, the, the, the technology allows for the chief engineer, the captain, to transmit the data in one uniform way, which is then um, transferred to the re to reporting requirements of other parties, so that's perfect. And then in the office, obviously, you need to overhaul your operations. We are not talking any longer for monthly uh, voyage reports or uh, uh, weekly reports. It's, it's instant, it's on the time, it's on the go, and it's data and reporting you can get in any way you require, either every three days, every five days, every 22 days, or, or every 29 days. So basically, the, the transformation has been easy, and, uh, and that's about it. And uh, what I have to say, however, is that it's now a proactive approach. Mm -hmm. With the data available, we receive all the um, voyage, the planned voyage, then the planned voyage has been uploaded on the server, and uh, the people manning the, the control room on a 24-7 basis, they have the chance to check whether this is the optimum performance, do and suggest changes with regards to the, um, uh, to the plan. And at the same time, there is an alert mechanism if the ship slows down or if you deviate from the route or if you have um, uh, another uh, ship approaching you, then you get an alarm. You get actually alerts uh, moving forward which makes life much easier. Thank you, Andrea. Um, I will move a little bit uh, to Boriana. Um, Boriana, as soon as we start talking about digitalization and connectivity, um, of course, we must consider the, the cyber risk that comes uh, with it. Um, what role do PNI clubs play in preparing their members for cyber-related incidents? Thank you very much, Despina. I would like to start with thanking Despina and the Tatero Group for inviting us to be part of this uh, panel. And of course, thank uh, Capital Link for this impeccable organization. I'll start with explaining what um, the aspects of coverage of cyber risk and a PNI club. Uh, American Club is the only PNI club in the Americas, but it's part of the international group of 13 clubs. And uh, we are connected uh, through, uh, we work together uh, with other clubs and we are obligated to follow certain rules through an international pooling agreement so we all agree on coverage. So the position of the international group is that cyber risk per se is not excluded from cover. And that's very important to understand because when it goes to the tonnage and in the shipping, you know, the ships that go around the world, 96 to 97% are covered or insured by PNI clubs. So when we are talking about cyber risk and PNI cover, it's important to understand that there is no specific exclusion per se by the PNI cover. What is a PNI cover? It's a third party liability cover, which is different from how and a lot of how policies contain a cyber exclusion. That being said, the traditional PNI cover will we, we work as to exclusions like it usually does, notwithstanding whether the risk has arisen from a cyber risk or not. For example, war and terrorism is generally not included in the cyber risk, in the PNI cover. So, therefore, if we have a cyber incident that arises of this type of risk, it would not be covered. 
we have, we have considered several scenarios where a PNI cover would really kick in. And for example, there within the FDND cover, uh, a cover where you have a breach of contract or breach of charter parties, as there a fraudulent cyber incident, we have several of those. We as a club defend the, the owner as to recovery of the legal fees, as to recovering the fraud. If we have a cyber incident that results in a major casualty, the PNI cover will respond in a traditional way where the repatriation, illness and that, and again, um, collision, uh, collision liability will be covered by the PNI club, even if it's caused by a cyber incident. So in this point, we would look at the incident on a case-by-case -case basis and go through our analysis. Now, as a, I'm a lawyer by background, and as a recovering lawyer, I love to talk about regulations. So when you talk about P&I and the applicable regulations and what we have to do as a P&I club to provide guidance to our owners, we have to know that IMO has come out with guidelines from the Maritime Safety Committee, which since 2021, now we're talking about IMO 2020, but the next big thing, I think, is the cyber risk because from January 2020, you will have an obligatory, a mandatory requirement for the owners to implement cyber plan in their SMS systems. And in this point, um, there are guidelines issued by BIMCO, CLIA, Intercargo, Intertanko, which are well adopted uh, in the loss prevention system of the PNI clubs and specifically American club, which provide guidances to owners how to contain a cyber risk plan and be ready to respond in case of a cyber attack. The US Coast Guard has really followed very closely these guidelines and there are several alerts issued um, and really excellent materials in this respect following the five steps mentioned in the guidelines uh, of IMO, and there are numerous documentation which we know time doesn't allow me to get into. Of note, there was a guidelines issued, I believe, uh, um, this summer as to a large fishing incident to prepare US, owner, uh, US owners as to creating a cyber risk plan. From a PNI perspective, what we do is implement a good loss prevention programs. American Club is coming up, has come up with several cir circulars and alerts in this point, and now we are preparing an animation um, a cartoon for our um, owners and their crew to be for training. So the role of the clubs here is advisory at this point. After January 2021, we'll see whether the the situation will change if there is a bridge of due diligence on behalf of the owners. Um, I would like to drill a little bit more, more specifically and ask, um, uh, in your experience, what are the major concerns of ship operators when it comes to implementing new technologies? Do they come to you um, for guidance or advice on how such an inv investment might impact uh, their premiums? Well, 
they specifically, you know, when, when we work with our owners, and of course when it comes February 20 or a little bit before that, our underwriting department regularly talks about a way to reduce premiums and depending on the owner's records, we are very understanding and, and, and competitive. When it comes to cyber risk specifically, um, we, uh, in conversation with our members and, 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 and the industry, very often owners bring in the issue as to uh, uniform technology on board of the vessel, on the termi terminals, um, and essentially the technology that is on the vessels very often is older than the ones on the terminals, and this could be a blessing in disguise because as we know, the biggest incidents involving births affected the port and not so much the vessels because the technologies and a lawyer is talking here did not talk to each other properly. I'm sure there is a good uh, techn a technological term. So very often from our members, we see that they need help from a company like Tototel to really implement the plan to help them prepare for cyber attacks, and that includes in uniform technologies and good prevention systems. Thank you, Variana. And, and Kevin, coming to you, um, talking about digitalization in our industry, uh, we cannot but refer to autonomous ships. Um, we already have some examples of such vessels, um, whereas it is no longer um, a science fiction scenario. Do you believe we're close to having, um, to having autonomous ships on a larger commercial scale? Yeah, thanks uh, for the question, Despina. Um, just, just a little background on Wartzilla. Uh, about five, six years ago, we had a shift in our philosophy that as, as we were looking ahead that being a traditional OEM engines and propulsion equipment was not going to meet the needs of the industry in the future. So we embarked on an acquisition phase um, in this arena uh, of technology. So starting with L3's Marine Group, which is control consoles, radar systems, and then we acquired NRAM, Transis, and a few other companies. So this kind of built a portfolio of, of, of digital technology that sits on the bridge, a bit unusual for Wartzilla, where we're traditionally thought of as an engine manufacturer, but that was the genesis of us getting into this area uh, of autonomy. Now, uh, to answer your question of, of what I think or what, what we think, when, when we, we think of uh, autonomous vessels or self-law vessels, the definition of the word, there's two other things that are always happening in the midst of autonomy, which is our heteronomous view, and that's our group view. In other words, what are our business practices? What are our ethical practices? How do we go about doing things? And then the other uh, third piece is the theonomous view, and this is the law of the sovereign. So we have regulatory and, and, and legal sovereignty over us. So these three things are always playing out, autonomous, heteronomous, and theonomous. And, and our view is what we'd like to see in this arena is these three things moving sort of together uh, as one. Because what you don't want to see is regulators get scared and move way ahead on the regulatory front, then styming the technology of autonomy. But on the other hand, we don't want to see autonomy get way out in front, and then we have some kind of catastrophic accident that then blows, blows it out of the water, pardon the pun, for, for the industry. And so we, we see this moving slowly together as a journey. Yes, there's some examples uh, of small autonomous test vessels and test runs, but, but we see this as a, a slow, gradual move into more uh, automated and remotely controlled vessels, I think would be how we would describe it, rather than autonomous. So remote control rooms, 24-7 monitoring, um, taking some of that burden off the crew at, at night, those types of situations where uh, I think remote control would be a little better expression rather than, than full autonomy. That, that will come with time but we don't want to see a situation where either technology or regulation is, 
is, is driving things to where it's not efficient for the center, which is the business community and our, our normative business practices and, and, and profitability. Well, you, you have touched a little bit upon it, but, but if we can expand a little bit more. Um, the debate is ongoing whether autonomous uh, ships would create more challenges than those um, they will help overcome. Um, so what is your view on this? Well, I, I think as you, you expand the automation, I mean, we're, we're still, particularly in the, in the general merchant segment, fairly ar archaic in our technology. I mean, it just is what it is. Uh, if you look at oil and gas and some specialty vessel sectors and, and the cruise side, you're seeing much higher levels of sophistication on, on automated technology on board, very sophisticated control rooms. We joke a little bit about the cruise world, and as a former sailor myself, but it's, it's not real shipping, but, but they're way ahead of the curve on, on technology. And, and so uh, as, as we take those technologies and apply them into broader segments of the market, I, I think you're going to see uh, th that uh, automation um, burden on the crew is actually reduced. Um, and you have to do it in a way, and this is really important, in a way that the, the culture and society accepts what you're doing. Um, the, the worst possible thing we could have is some sort of incident under control of autonomy. I don't know if you've seen the, the uh, Tesla car, self-fetching car videos that have been going around the last couple of weeks. It's, it's, it's pretty disastrous. And so we don't need something like that. Um, so, so it's really a journey of higher levels of automation, leveraging the technology, integrating the technology. So for example, we all remember when satellite radio came out, if you wanted it in your car, you had like this extra faceplate you had to kind of plant on your dashboard. Now it's fully integrated. So we see these things coming out from the yard across the industry. So uh, operators, managers now have the technology pre-integrated. Pre and then you can go to those next step, uh, steps of, of leveraging that, that automation for, for different types of efficiencies, including a higher level of, of, of autonomy or a higher level of remote control. And, and um, a panel question on, on autonomous ships. How do you think autonomous ships fit into the new reality of shipping acting as a service provider for the Amazons of the world? Uh, do you think they will add value to that chain? I've always thought it, it wouldn't surprise me if Amazon suddenly showed up or Google with, with an automated vessel and said to the regulators, here, here you go, what, what, are, what are the rules? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think uh, a more uh, likely scenario is they are pushing very, very hard for much higher levels of automation across the entire logistics chain. Um, so that's both their, the physical supply that they'll be selling for an Amazon, for example, and they want better control and better automation of their, of their uh, uh, plane fleets, of their truck fleets. And I, I don't see any reason why that isn't going to, that pressure will not be felt on the industry, particularly the liner industry with Amazon, of, of automation and, and autonomous vessels. Thank you, Kevin. Can I say something? Of course. O on the front of autonomous ships, I think it's something that it, it will not come anytime soon. That's a personal opinion, and I think this is more of a subject of our research and development departments and so on. You mean on. the deep seas? Yes. Okay. Now, but with regards to technology, the way we see it now is not to replace a human uh, element. The, the, the technology is there to improve the performance, to help us do the job better, analyze the performance, correct the performance, and help the crew and the office staff. It, it by no means replaces the, uh, the human element. I think you make a good point there, Andres, because sometimes we do um, misinterpret the, the word autonomous in our industry. We don't mean necessarily unmanned, so it's very good to make that yeah. dis distinction that Andreas just made. Uh, we still have a few minutes for if you have any questions. 20.
ship technologies and, and actual trials uh, mm -hmm. on small ships indeed, as Kevin uh, mentioned. Um, up to what extent do you think, especially from a ship management perspective, that if we look into the future at further growth of the world fleet, which is expected, and the availability of seafarers, up to what extent would that equation drive us actually towards reduced manned vessels uh, simply because we have not so much choice in terms of availability of manpower to actually man those ships? Okay. I don't know if I will answer your question, but let me just refer slightly to on the technology front. What companies do, they look on perhaps blockchain for vessel certificates and uh, crew certificates and so on. This is one element. Then when it comes to training, what we do on our uh, side, we have teamed up with Adobe and we provide training in a way which is more interactive, it's uh, user-friendly, uh, seafarers can read it on uh, and they can be trained on the plane. So, so that's, um, that's one element as well. We have also engaged uh, in virtual, virtual reality for the training, also on electronic engines and, uh, and so on. The, overall, this is technology, this is um, digitalization to some extent, but how far this means less people on board, this has to do, I think, with more advanced technologies, which they come with the manufacturers of the engines, of the radars, of the equipment, and so on. On the operator's level, I don't see this happening. Um, if I may comment, it's, the autonomous shipping is a very interesting thing from an insurance perspective and regulatory pers perspective, because if you look at the IMO regulations, there is no uniform definition as to what autonomous ship even is. And I'm coming back from Mexico, where the Spina actually uh, was as well, where I'm part of the autonomous ships group, which we draft a proposed legislation to the IMO as to bring uniformity as to this, these types of vessels. From an insurance perspective, that's also very interesting because when you calculate an insurance premiums and when you calculate the risk, human factor is a huge factor. And you know, now we already have an autonomous ship, ships, as we know, they operate on a smaller scale and they're insured by some IG clubs. So of course, whenever there is a ship, we'll, there will be a product, an insurance product for it. But again, the formula has not been tested. And same goes to cyber risk. There's so many insurance products on the market that provide additional cover that P, for, that then P&I cover. Thank you, Morgan. I asked you a question. Um, what, what's its ultimate, on blockchain, what's its ultimate applicability in the shipping industry? Um, the information content, not the uh, crypto uh, cyber currency. And will it be good for the shipping industry, ultimately? I guess a question for me. I'll tell you our, our experience. What we know, for example, we teamed up with the university, and we have, um, we have applied, and we are applying, is not finalized yet, blockchain to make sure that the crew certificates and the crew training of our seafarers is uploaded on our systems and it's locked, it's available, and cannot be changed. Now, this is, however, a company-specific application. The challenge we all have is how do you apply this in a vertical way? How do you engage um, the ITF requirements, the operators, the owners, the flags, the class societies, all to work on this platform. And to do that, I think we are uh, 
many years ahead, and I don't think we will ever get there. But company-specific or sec sec uh, certain segments or flags and so on, I think we have, uh, we will see that. For example, we have now a number of flags accepting the uh, electronic uh, oil record book as part of their uh, approved uh, uh, systems, and which is an advantage for them. So we are moving, but it's all fragmented and it's all uh, either regional or uh, company-wide and so on. Yes, yes, please. Go ahead. Andreas, you mentioned the problem of obsolescence of software. Um, oh, wait. You mentioned the problem of obsolescence of software. And so how did you avoid obsolescence when developing your own custom monitoring solution in-house? Uh, worth your part. Well, by Pardon. having, because it's database management and the database is, is based on a cloud and it's easily modified and controlled and, and verified with AIS uh, on board the ship. So it's more, it's a quality of the data that you get rather than um, within one specific system. So it's just a powerful database management that you actually, that you actually do. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for uh, listening to us. Thank you, Boriana, Andreas, and Kevin for your interesting answers. Have a good day. Thank, thank you. you.